Friends, welcome back to the Ransom Tart Podcast. John Eldridge here with a very, very special treat. We have something that we do monthly here at Ransom Tart. We do a monthly men's broadcast a live stream over the internet that I host a group of men, and Stacy also does one for women once a month. We have a time of teaching and worship, and then we make that available both live, and you can also go back and find the archive episodes at Ransom Tart TV. There's like a whole treasure trove of them now. And we had a special men at the outpost. Craig McConnell was back from cancer treatment, back in many ways, back physically, emotionally, spiritually. And it was such a powerful conversation. It's just a conversation between me and Craig about what he's learned through suffering, what I've learned through suffering, and finding God. And man, what Craig had to say in particular is so powerful and beautiful and hopeful. We just wanted to air it here as well as a podcast. So welcome. You're about to hear a conversation from Men at the Outpost between Craig McConnell and John Eldridge. So we got a treat this evening. We're going to welcome back our buddy, Craig McConnell, who has been away for a while. Many of you have been tracking with our story, and you know that Craig's been with us for a long time here at Ransomed Heart, and actually our story goes back, I was doing the math on the way over here, 36 years, 1979. And we were both working at a church in Southern California together. I mean, literally in another life age of the earth. (laughs) I mean, you know what it's like. Ten years ago feels like another lifetime to you, right? You can imagine what 36 feels like. But part of Ransom Heart, part of the movement here. And then um, I'm kind of briefing some of you who aren't quite as familiar with the story. And and then Craig got a diagnosis uh, with leukemia. Five years ago. May 2009. Okay. So, holy cow. Six years ago. Yeah. And up and down story, some good parts to it, some pretty hard parts to it. The last year in particular, brutal parts to it, kind of through last summer. Yeah. And the 45 days spent in the ER last summer. Yeah. And then off to MD Anderson. And I thought it would be really good to have a conversation this evening that is, you know, within a larger story and with the orientation, for one thing, I wanted to give Craig the opportunity to talk about what you have learned of God going through the hell that you have been through. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to just kind of meander our way. We talked a little bit about this beforehand this afternoon. We're just going to meander our way through some topics that I think are going to be enormously relevant to you in how you process your own pain or disappointment or the apparent absence of God or, you know, that sort of whole collection of things that can really hammer a person. So uh, welcome back, buddy. It's good to be back. It is great to have you here. Yeah, I don't have a mask on. Yeah. Or a gown. I understand those gowns don't exactly go I all the way. I call them bibs. Go it's all the way just, around. It covers about this <clears throat> much of me. Yeah. Oh, John. Um, 
you know, it was less than a month ago. I was not in good shape starting a new investigational uh, chemo. It's a phase two investigation, so it's kind of early, and my initial reactions weren't good to it. So I am still so close to a whole lot of things that have happened recently that to, you know, to interpret them clearly is probably still ways out, and I, I may even need help interpreting some of it. So of course, I'm good with sharing some of the things I've learned, but it feels like it's still an open book, and I'm in the middle of stuff. But um, there's a couple things that I, I want to say with all the convictions of my heart, and uh, the first is that God is good. I think when you're suffering, I'm going to use first person. When I was um, in some tough situations, um, I think God strides into the back alleys and the hospitals and the battlefields where people are suffering. I think he strides in militaristically to expose himself as good because all the evidence and all the lies of hell are that he isn't good. And you look at the diagnosis, the prognosis, you look at uh, all that could happen, all that has happened, all that is happening, and it's real easy to stack up and really question whether God's good. And the most basic question, I think, is the goodness of God. And because of that, he comes, he takes it serious for you to know I'm good. Mm. And it's... Make this very real. Put some color to this. Like, when were you most doubting or wrestling with his goodness? There's a lot of times when it's a long-term thing or when you're in the hospital for 40 days. There's, there's a lot of peaks and valleys, and that's kind of always a question that's just right there. And it may be, it was at times when um, I had multiple fevers. I was having a, um, an allergic reaction to a chemo that I was on, an experimental chemo, and they didn't know what it was. And so I was going into these uh, high fevers up to 105 and uh, just suffering through them, very uncomfortable and you know, numerous times in the ER, naked on the gurney or the bed, and just flailing as they um, try to get my temperature to drop with ice. And uh, my wife and nurse is just putting ice on me and trying to cool me off. One of the funny moments was I was, the nurse says, better change the ice on his groin. And I'm all, I've got a bag of ice. I can't feel a thing. (laughs) That doesn't normally seem like the place a bag of ice should be. But it's in those moments where you just, you really are hurting. And there were times I was panicked. Um, There were times I felt like I was on the edge of a black hole. And God, his character, his nature, who he was, what he was doing with me, why this we're all kind of up for grabs repeatedly. And, of course, the enemy is just, you know, John and I were talking about something similar to this. The enemy just doesn't give you a break. Like, he suffered enough, let's pull back. Right. 
Right, exactly. So, and, and what he'll do is he'll seize your vulnerabilities. Yeah. Like that's a really key thing to understand about living in a world at war is that the enemy knows your vulnerabilities and he will seize them or he'll try and access them and like that's where he gets his digs in. Yeah, yeah. So God would just make himself known in a variety of different ways is good. And it was um, kind of a furious display of his goodness and reassurance. And um, Meaning the symptoms went away? No. No, the symptoms, symptoms never went away. God would show up, and uh, the symptoms would be there. Um, still had cancer, it was still uncontrollable shakes, still evacuating stuff in bed and just flailing. But God would come and everything would fade. Everything would fade. Everything took its proper place. It's kind of the way I picture the end of time where kings bow and recognize God is the king, where death no longer has a sting, where love prevails, where hatred and everything just kind of finds its proper place in order. And it felt like, John, a number of those times that things just settled to their proper place and God was God. Far above everything else, the pain, the fever, the panic, the where's this going, things fade and there's this comfort, there's this peace, there's this subtleness that I'm in safe hands, that uh, I am in the care of the Mighty One, and your circumstances don't change. All the stuff's still there, Mm. but it's faded to its proper place, and God is over all, and Mm. you know that. And it's not just God is power, it's God is good. It feels... There are so many different times. One night, I I think I had my arm extended into the air most of the night. And it was just a picture of God holding my hand, just Mm. holding me. And I was caught in some rapid stream. And he was ashore, and he was keeping me from being swept uh, away. And it was like, it was actually as peaceful. Uh, There was no threat. Mm. I'm in safe hands. I just have to pause and say, because what I want to do is process your story as you're telling it. I think we look for the proof that God is good at the change of our circumstances. I mean, there's a little part of me, I think there's a little part here and, and our listeners going, whoa, whoa, wait, what? Like, nothing changed? I mean, violent shakes, unbelievable fevers, your body's convulsing, 45 days. Mm-hmm. that's just one little piece of this last round in Houston. You were near death mm-hmm. on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. And for you to say, yeah, no, I found him without things changing yeah. is a pretty big mind blower. Blows my mind. And I want things to change. But of course uh, you do. I think you start the journey praying for for a fact, for changed circumstances, crying out for the healing you see Christ doing and seems to be so much a part of the kingdom. 
And along the line, you find yourself, I think, elevated to a place where I know I'm going to be healed someday. The primary value and component of the kingdom is love. And my physical healing is somewhere under that. And I now experience the full healing of the kingdom in some future date, maybe not till heaven, but I know I can experience love in such great capacities here and now. And one of the things, if I could tell the story, one of the things in my worst moment was it's been weeks, and um, my wife thought I uh, died six times. And you can imagine what she went through. But at one moment, it was just hell. It was just hell. And um, panic, I felt like I was drowning. That was the actual physical feeling I had was I was drowning. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe and just all this pressure and um, panic. And I leaned over to Lori, and it's the only time I said this. I said, I, um, I'm losing it. And I felt that in the next moment, everything was going to change. I was either going to die, go mad, or pass out in shock or something. But I I could not continue to this. This had to transition to something. And um, it was one of those desperate cries to God that was kind of like, Lord, I'm a mixture of where are you, and I know you're here, and... And it was kind of that last breath of God. And um, he came. And it felt cruel what he said to me. It's like he paused everything, like a father connecting me eye to eye. I said, Craig, listen, I want you to take your eyes off of your pain and your suffering. And I want you to love. I want you to love me. I want you to love others. I want you to pray for others right now. And I felt like you would ask me in this moment to love, to forgive, and to pray. And it just felt cruel, like if there's one time I should be totally totally comfortable with being self-focused and centered and pushing through this. And he said, no, I want you to pray for others. And Lori will tell you, I mean, doctors, there's two or three and a couple of nurses around me, and um, and I just was very consciously aware that, pray for John and Stacy. Lord, come, move into the... And I prayed like I've never prayed, and I just kept praying. You know, I lost sense of time. Lori said it was a couple of hours, and just... And there was something about that, man, of being absolutely in hell and tasting putting others first and loving mm-hmm. from um, mm-hmm. loving from the cross, if you will. Mm-hmm. And those moments were the closest I felt to God and the most I felt like Him. Right. Right. Um, as you're listening to this conversation this evening or as people watch it, you know, in the future sometime online, like God's going to start putting his finger on things for you. And 
rearranging some categories or challenging some assumptions that you hold or uncovering uh, anger at him or rage or feelings of abandonment and just all that stuff that the cost of the war brings in. We're just kind of free associating through this, but you're triggering a couple things that I feel are valuable as well that I want to just name Craig. And that was a bigger rescue than you know because several things have gotten released on the earth by the evil one in the last year. One of them was hatred. Another was violence and violation. And to begin to turn your soul, spirit, heart, mind, will in the direction of loving is a phenomenal rescue from evil. Mm -hmm. Isn't it? I mean, isn't that what you experienced? So like, like heads up, like to turn in the midst of disappointment, one more setback, one more frustration, or something worse, pain, violence, intense suffering, to turn your being, as what he was calling you to do, to turn your being in the direction of love, actually like rescues your soul from evil. Because it brings your soul back into a safe place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It brings your soul back into God, who is love. And as you were describing this story, I heard that story before. And as you were describing it, I was thinking about in First John, where he says, he who loves lives in God. And God in him. Like, I want to live in God. Now, it's not always war. And there's beauty and goodness and great things. Wonder and joy and all kinds of great things God brings us, but we do live in the context of, it's a love story set in the world at war. And I want to live in God. Like that's the safe place. Yeah. Right? Jesus urged us, you know, remain in me, remain in me. And then, and then he told us love. Yeah. Like it literally rescued you. Yeah. I think the, the way I put it now is there's, um, there's no exemption to love no matter what your circumstances or condition, not only is the call and your design to love, but that is life itself. And, and communion with God is seen in loving others. And it was just, those were the moments that were the most transcendent and the most practical. And I kept looking for, um, figured that's what I'm here for is to love. I don't think these stories are directly connected, but they may be. While Craig was going through this last fall of that particular type of hell, I was going through some pretty horrible assaults of evil. And I would wake in the night yet again, yet again, yet again with warfare and battle and evil. And God was telling me to do the exact same thing, start loving. And he would just immediately catch me and say, John, just start loving me. Just start loving me right now. Just love me. And like, Jesus, I love you. And like, you literally had to do that on many occasions. Like, Jesus, I just love you. Like, I choose you. I love you. And what's happening there is more than just words being said. It's more than just a volitional choice, right? Something in your being is getting rescued in those moments. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know how to describe that, John, but I love the reorientation, something shifts and I now know that the deepest reality is to love and that 
Um, I've tasted his love like I never have, and I've loved others in moments I never would have. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's... I don't know what that shift is, right. and, and it frightens me that I'm, you know, have I lost it? Uh, is it gone? Is it only for those peak crises of absolute sheer hellish pain and fear facing death, or is it something I can live with in the day to day? And I'm, I'm anxious to flush it out in the day to day. Right. Yeah. You've got quite a few notes there. And highlighters and colors. This is vintage Craig. I wish we could put that up, put that up on the screen. That goes back 36 years. Yeah, uh, I promise I can't read it. It's so small. <laughs> what else is on your heart, pal? Yeah, I guess um, maybe just to put several pieces together. You know, I, I feel like there's so many things to say. In the midst of all of this, there was joy and laughter, just funny things happening. I mean, my first day going into MD Anderson a couple of years ago, went into the the lobby of kind of the McDonald house where cancer patients stay before you start getting your treatment. And um, I was talking to an ally from Ransom Heart who was in the lobby, didn't know him, hadn't met him, but he recognized me and he came up. He was being treated for a different cancer. And we sat out and talked and And he said, listen, Craig, here's one of the things I've learned. God said to me, you may not see me in the big things for a while, but look for me in the little things. And it was so prophetic to hear this because, you know, the big things. So I want to, every time I have my blood work for it to show that the cancer's gone, that I'm healed, that everything's worked. And some mighty conversions of doctors and nurses and and whether I'm healed or not, others are being healed through me. And just, I have this dramatic of some big things. And uh, none of those happened. But there were so many little, just little things. Just moments in little quiet rooms, watching goldfish swim, or watching uh, you know, a child smile with her mom, or there was this garden with a little fountain, and I loved going out there and sitting in this miserable Houston heat. And uh, I just sit there for hours. I could just watch what God brought um, birds into this um, bird bath and all the funky things birds do in bird baths. And then, you know, there's a little sow bug just going in a circle at my feet. And I think he'd been going in a circle for an hour or two before I noticed him. But I just watched him for 10 minutes. In fact, I've got about five minutes of it on my iPhone video. Uh, (laughs) I just, here I am, this big creation, looking at this puny, insignificant thing going in circles. And then, then there was this pause, and I kind of looked up. You know, it was just funny, you know, is that me? Is that my life? And moments of, um, you know, uh, the nurse comes in and there's some things on my tray and she says, um, there's an anal swab there and then leaves the room. (laughs) And, you know, the, the anal swab was like 18 inches long. And I, I mean, I know basically what it's for, but how far, how much, how long, what? (laughs) 
and I'm just supposed to do something with this. And I just, I was just laughing. And then there's, God provides angels. There are two people, I'm not sure are people, that are a part of my story who just came at the right time and they spoke, but it wasn't their words, it was their presence. One was a, a woman who said she was a psych nurse addressing, I'm having these panic attacks in the midst of being treated. And she came three days for a lengthy time, all three days. And I can only remember snippets of the moments. I can't remember her being there that long. I'm relying on my wife's version. And she would, um, she was God. And she just brought, kind of like when you open a door and a fresh breeze comes in, she just brought God. She prayed for me and just, and it wasn't what she prayed. I don't recall what she prayed. It wasn't what she said, but she was there to bring something. Mm. And there were others like that. And I just felt that in the midst of suffering and questions and who knows where this is going and none of the circumstances changes, God's constant intervention, reminder that he's there. There's a humiliation that comes with suffering. I hope this fits. Um, it all fits. Okay. There's a humiliation of um, prolonged suffering or disease. It's really humiliating to be so regularly asking for prayer. Again and again, for years, another crisis, another another need. And um, you're just that guy who's sick and needs God and is crying out for him. And um, there's a poverty of spirit that's really uncomfortable. Um it's also humiliating when so many people pray for you to be healed. You know, wonderful brothers and sisters who um, just out of good hearts um, and out of obedience to Scripture want to pray for healing. And they come up and, and lay hands and pray and proclaim me healed. And and I'm not. And the pressure you feel to affirm their courage, to affirm their faith, to affirm them and what they're doing, and it feels like the table turns from me being the one who needs ministry to, you know, I've got to give it to him or them now. There's humiliation of um, the procedures you go through. Um, this last time in Houston, um, at one point I woke up in the hospital bed, and my gown was off. Things seemed a little different. So I pull back the sheets, and I look down, and I'm in this big old adult diaper. <laughs> Did I need to say adult diaper? But I yeah, just... Yeah, just pause, pause. In order to understand the value of these stories, you, you have to understand God's particular sense of humor with you. Like, if you know Craig... Like, Craig 
walks through life savoring the quirky. <laughs> like he notices it. He he's kind of like a walking far side. Like he just <laughs> like like he just has this ability to You wouldn't notice an anal swap. <laughs> <laughs> just so to connect the dots here, like to know that that's his particular take on life and people and things. He just notices the quirky and it cracks him up. So he wakes up and he's buck naked and he looks down and he's in a diaper. And, and I'm saying, there's a story here that I don't know. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> and then, you know, it, you know, Lori tells me that I had no control uh, for a couple of days and when I was out of it and stuff. So those things are humiliating. Um, some of the side effects, I, you know, I have tremors. I, the drugs I'm taking have, um, have an impact on my sexual performance. I think I have supersized chemo brain where my ability to pay attention, focus, multitask is, is really a struggle. And I'm, I went to the hospital today to get blood work. And I walk into this lab to get my blood work, and I was totally disoriented. Had no idea how to get out of the building, and you know, I had two nurses kind of walk me out of the building. And I'm just going, "Ah, where's the walker? You know, I'm there. This is me. It's it's too early. This isn't the story." Can I pause there? Yeah. Um, if you haven't yet seen American Sniper. It's out of theaters, I think, locally now. But when it comes out on DVD, you're going to want to watch it. I actually don't recommend that. I know a lot of women join us online. I actually don't recommend that for the women in your life. But Fury is an important movie to watch. American Sniper is an important movie to watch. Because what I was most struck by, particularly in American Sniper, was the cost of it all the cost of this battle that we're in for men who are actually living well, men who are loving well, men who are walking with God. Like if you don't know the cost yet, you will. You will. And like which direction that goes is one of the most important forks in a road that a human being ever comes to. And Craig, what I want to get to, I want to ask it, but I'm not sure how to ask it. Like, how the hell did this not take you out? I mean, that's the fork in the road. And you, you know, the portrayal of some of these very heroic characters, but by the end, like, man, they are, they are not doing well. They are not doing well. And suffering, affliction, changes a person for good or for evil. How has it changed you? How are you different I think it might be too early to tell, but I'd love your input there. Um, how I got through it was I, a number of times just clinging to things I knew were true. Mm. There is a larger story. I'm not mm. the main character in that story. It is God. I play a significant role in that story. That whole story is about God moving heaven and earth to capture my heart and to bring me life, and that I might rescue others. So, you know, I had to be aware of the story I want is this isn't happening. 
But my story and God's story just, you know, there had to come to some resolution that, no, actually it's his story. And I'm at peace with that. Mm-hmm. This, whether I'm healed, however this goes, mm-hmm. I am good with God's story and my part in it. And um, I'm rested there. Um, how did I get through it? I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. I know that I've described this at boot camp once before that there were times where God said, "Um, you don't need to fight. You're in the fortress. I'm a safe place. I will do the fighting. It was just rest. And it felt so good not to have a season of spiritual warfare. He was covering me. But there was never a time where there wasn't some part of me volitionally engaged even on the smallest level where um, something inside said, I will not give in to despair. I will not give in to death. I will not give in to um, hopelessness. And hopelessness and despair and just giving in and just ending it, just giving up are so tempting. And they, they give you the promise of relief. Mm. And they actually have a false hope attached to them. And it's a hellish battle to stay present in some little part of you. Um, you know, you don't feel like you're capable of anything more, that, but that some part of you says, no, no, I'm not giving in to that. I mean, outwardly, if you were to see me, you'd think I was on the losing end of a battle and lost my salvation and, and all of that. But inwardly, some little place just says, no. So, you know, that might be my contribution, but it sure felt like, it just felt like God was committed over and over again to be there, to come. Mm. And Mm. I don't know if that answers it. It does. It does. And more to come. More to come as you interpret this and he interprets this for you. I want to make an observation and then I want to, and I'd like your answer to the question. Have I'll you give, seen me? I, I, w- okay. I would love to give that to you. Um, one of the things you have to be very careful of when you live in a world at war, which entails disappointment, sometimes chronic disappointment in certain areas of your life, like doing great here, doing great here, but you know, never been in a relationship. Now I'm in my late 50s. Don't feel like that's going to happen. That's really disappointing or... Um, lost a child. Um, we have two beautiful children, but lost, you know, the, just the, the different ways that suffering can come to you. You know, your, your health might be fantastic, but your finances are hell. In this war, what I'm trying to get to is a, is a, is a kind of warning. What I've experienced, and I wanted to ask you about this, is the enemy wants nothing more than to instill in this world but more so to instill somehow into our souls resentment toward God. His resentment toward God. He hates God. And he's trying to get people to side with him in that campaign. That's what the whole devastation thing is about. I think mine was a little little different. Um, It felt like... um, it may have been resentment underneath it, but it just felt like trust. Could I trust God to care for my wife? 
Could I trust God with my children? Could I trust God with my legacy? Could I trust God that my life mattered, that I accomplished something? Could I trust, you know, it, it felt like those were the the questions. I was scared to death of them. And I, the enemy was right there, of course, saying, no, no, no. Right. Again, questioning right. his goodness. Yeah, questioning him in those ways. Yeah, but, but resentment is I kind of typically understand I didn't feel a whole lot of that but I don't want to paint the picture that I was jolly good with everything coming my way right right yep um you asked for some feedback love it I think that those parts of you that have always been um noble and good seem more prominent your kindness with people. I think your gentleness is more forward now. You're leading more with some of those attributes that have always been true of you, but they seem more in the front. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that you personally have been wanting to kind of put more into the back are receding into the back. Don't need to win that argument. I don't need to win that argument. I don't need to. I don't need to make that point. That's just not that important to me anymore. I, I don't need to correct this person's theology. That just doesn't excite me that much anymore. You know, some of those things that you've been letting go of over the years really feel like they're receding into the background. Mm. And I think that, I think you're coming through a season of horrible affliction, with the very goal that God had in mind, right? I mean, he uses affliction. He, he does. There's just no scripture, church history, our own personal lives bear witness to. He uses it to shape us profoundly. And what's being shaped in you, Craig, is really beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Thank you. It's good. It's just good to be back and have men in my life who've helped me get back. So thank you, John. Thank you, guys, for your prayers, yeah. your support. Right. God is good. Yeah. He is sufficient. Yeah. He is true. Yeah. So what I wanted you to witness is that it can be done. Yeah. It can be done. That the most stunning thing that ever takes place in this story is when a man chooses God before his circumstances change. See, here's the thing, like, we believe in intervening prayer. We believe in healing. We see it. We believe in deliverance. We see tons of it. Like, we believe radical things can change. Like, we believe in the kingdom present now. We believe in all that stuff, okay? But here's the thing. There is no more devastating blow against evil than when a human being chooses God in the face of suffering, disappointment, unbelief, chronic pain, setback, frustration, abandonment, like before the circumstances change, to get up and to proclaim that God is good is absolutely devastating 
to evil. It's devastating. God is also after things in us in the midst of our afflictions. Like, of course he is. Like, it's just, I mean, like, I want life. Like, don't get me wrong. I want joy. I want love. I want breakthrough. I I mean, I pray for it all the time, you know? And, and God is after things in us. And he uses disappointment, heartbreak, suffering, affliction to get to those things, to surface them so that he can heal them, so that he can transform us, right? And then, like, I mean, you become mighty. Like, you become powerful. Your words have power. Your actions have power. Your prayers have power. Like, you can grow in that. Right? depending on what you do at that crossroads that we were talking about. Okay, So let's pray a little bit before we close. Just some lingering prayer. So we're just going to linger for a moment here in prayer. And just, just let, let's just let Jesus kind of guide us and speak to us here. Jesus, what, what are you after? What are you after in me tonight? I'm going to pray in the first person because this is between you and God. Like, Jesus, what, what are you after in me, in this. Like, why why'd you bring me here, Lord? What, what are you after in me? Um, as you're praying, you stay with Jesus in that, but I'll name some things that he's naming. Fear, fear of what might happen. Oh, Jesus, I give you my fear of what might happen. I think a lot of us live with some closets of that, just kind of tucked away, like, what might happen to my health? What might happen to my kids? You know how it goes. So he just named fear. Jesus, Jesus. I invite you into my fear. Invite you into my fear. I give you my fears. Rather than trying to hide them from you and pretending that I don't have them, Jesus, I admit it. I admit it. And then Jesus just asked, what is it? Between you And him, what is the fear? Give me that. Give me that. Give me that. And quite often, it's connected to not even so much your own life, but those you care about. And so Jesus says, there's someone that I am carrying that I need to trust you with again? Is that connected to like the future? What's going to happen? Right? Fears about the future regarding someone else. It's just another category he's raising. And Jesus, is there someone that I, I need to let go of and, and trust you with? 
And I'll be honest with you, as we're praying through this right now, like I'm bumping into the tips of icebergs in me. You know, I kind of go, oh yeah, maybe a little bit. And then as soon as I like get over there, I realize, oh, holy cow, like that's actually huge. So Jesus, I give them to you, release them to you. And I, as I'm doing this, Lord, I'm inviting your love here. I'm inviting your love here. As Craig said, the whole kingdom operates in love. The whole kingdom operates in love. Power means nothing without love. And so, okay, Jesus, okay. So you're naming these things for me as you're raising these things. I'm inviting your love. I'm choosing love, choosing love. And then we just ask him again, Jesus, why'd you bring me here? What are you after tonight? Why am I watching this? What are you after, Lord? What do you want to uncover and address in my soul? Jesus. He just named rage. And I think most of us don't want to allow that to be a category, but there are parts of us raging at God. Now we mask it in other ways. We're raging at the way, quote, life turns out. But if that's a category for you, Jesus, I invite you there. I invite you there. I invite you there, raging at the, quote, injustice of the world or raging at someone that betrayed you or raging at frustration of your work. Or, but beneath that are some pretty strong feelings about the way God runs the universe. And Jesus just said, just let me in there. Just let me in. Give you access to my rage. Give you access to my rage. And then he just asked a very interesting question of us. He said, what do you think the goal is? <laughs> I love Jesus. Oh my gosh. He just said, let's just, you and him, he just said, let's have a conversation about that. What do you think the goal here is in this life you're living? What do you think the goal is? What are you aiming for? And a really revealing way to get to that, and what he's asking is, where is the majority of your energy spent? You know, Jesus, I'll be honest, I think you're going to need to uncover that. What do I think the goal is? Kind of collectively, I'm praying on our behalf. I'm not so sure that I have a complete answer to that. And so I invite you into that conversation. Jesus, surface in me, what do I think the goal is here? <laughs> oh my gosh, like his ability to navigate into these things in us. I'll just share with you, like, so he just said to me personally, winning. 
Like, you got to understand, like, I am a warrior, like, in the core of my DNA. And I'm like, well, of course the goal's winning. Like, there's a different goal? I mean, and he's like, yeah, me. And you can take something even as noble as ministry or the kingdom or whatever and make it the goal and, and get a little off chart there and, and get hammered through it or disappointed or heartbroken or whatever. And so between you and him, Jesus, you're raising the question, what do I think the goal is? And I invite you there. I invite you there. Jesus, I need you to restore my soul. I need you to restore my soul. I mean, as we were witnessing in Craig's life, this is a brutal story at times. At times it is lovely, and at times it is fun. At times it is just an absolute gas, but at times it is brutal. Jesus, I ask you to restore my soul. I invite your soul into my soul. As Leanne Payne taught in her healing work, the soul is healed through union with God. God, my Father, Jesus, my brother, Holy Spirit, I invite your soul into my soul tonight to restore my soul. Restore these things in me. Restore these places in me. Restore these things in me, God. Renew me. Breathe love. Breathe love into me. Breathe life. Breathe your affection, Jesus. Remove those things that are in the way of our affection. You for me and me for you. Remove those things that are in the way. Guilt, blame, fear, shame, doubt, unbelief. Just remove those things. Self-protection, self-securing. Remove those things that are in the way of our affection. I ask for your affection, God. And as a company of warriors, we pray together. We bring the kingdom of God over our lives. Tonight, we bring the kingdom of God over our homes, whatever they may be right now. We bring the kingdom of God over our work. Bring the kingdom of God over our future. We bring the kingdom of God over our kingdoms. And I invoke the kingdom of God, his kingdom, into my kingdom, into my realm. Each one of us, we invoke the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, that's really, really good. Really, really good.